Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Today we're going to be in our new series. For the next three weeks, we're going to look at uh, transformed. And we're going to look at three things that God uses to transform our lives, to bring change, to bring change for the better. Uh, you know, I, I feel like just most people in general want things to be different in their life. Uh, sometimes they don't know how to experience change and definitely how to find the change that uh, makes a healthy and positive impact and ultimately an eternal impact in a, in a good way. And so Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is kind of our theme through this past through this series. We're beginning today looking at God's love. We're going to look at God's love, God's word, and God's spirit through this series. But we're going to start with the love of God because I believe that's one of the most transformational forces in the world is the love of God. And Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this, do not be conformed to the world. Conform means to be uh, changed by outward pressure. You know, the best that religion can do is try to change us from the outside in, but that never works. Uh, it never brings, you know, Jesus did not come to make bad men better. He came to make dead men live. He came to rescue us from our sins, set us free, and bring us into life in him. So it says, don't be conformed to the world. The world, even as Christians, the world tries to bring pressure to conform and shape you to reflect its own image. But here's what he says, but be transformed. Change from the inside out. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or recognize what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what God has for all of us. That's the destination, God's good will, his acceptable, his perfect will. But to get there, we've got to recognize that we need transformation. Our mission as a church is to see every person know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, discover purpose. And all of those require and involve personal transformation as God begins to work in our lives. And so that's true for all of us, even as Christians. You know, when, when we accepted Jesus, we, we were born again, brought into the kingdom, brought from death to life. But that wasn't the end of what God wanted to do. That was the starting point. That was the entry point uh, to a new and exciting life of, of experiencing more of God and his kingdom and his purpose. In fact, Jesus' first sermon uh, is, is the opening of that door. He says this. He said his first message is very short and very simple. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think the word repent is one of the most misunderstood words uh, even in the church, that, that sometimes we think that repentance is just, you know, I'm, I'm sad about something or I'm crying or I feel bad about something. But as we know, I can, I can feel bad about something and not change. I, I can even, you know, I can I go through all the motions of, of religion and activity. I can even weep at an altar. I can, I can have all of these outward signs, but I, I, I want to experience transformation. I want the real thing. I want to be changed. I want to experience life. And, and Jesus invited us into that. The word repent there is literally to change the mind. The picture is that, you know, it's like you're heading one way on I-35 and then you turn around, you make a U-turn, you head a different direction. And so he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the king showed up, Jesus, as we just sung about a moment ago, and he invited us to experience his kingdom. He invited us to experience life in him, freedom in him, wholeness in him, 
and that begins when we repent or when we turn to Jesus, we turn and trust in him, turn from our old life. But even as believers who've received Jesus, sometimes we stop allowing that transformation in our hearts and minds to fully experience all that he has for us. So, so I want to deal with a few things today. Jude chapter, uh, Jude chapter, there's only one chapter in Jude. Uh, Jude has like 23 or so verses, and uh, I've always threatened that I'm going to preach a 52-week series on the book of Jude. Anyway, uh, I'll never do that. But, uh, but, but the book of Jude just has a few verses, and it's a letter from a, a, a leader in the church to the, the body, to the church, to God's people. And they were in a season that was very difficult. There was a lot of deception, a lot of darkness, a lot of things, even in the church. Uh, and, and so Jude reminds them, and here's what he tells them in verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit in a couple weeks. But then he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now here's what it doesn't say. He doesn't say, keep God loving you. Can I just remind you this morning, God loved you before you even loved him back. He loved you before you had even received Jesus as your Savior. He loved you before you even were born. He loved you from an eternity past. God had you in his heart and he loved you. He loved us while we were sinners. He loved us while we were rebels. He loved us when we were far from God. He loved us. So it doesn't say keep God loving you, but it says keep yourselves in the love of God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today because I believe that many people live without the experience of receiving his love for themselves. While it's just like the sun is shining, unless you get outside in the warmth of the sun, uh, have me thankful for a warm sun, right? Okay, yeah, I, I am too. Uh, my, my Florida family, is uh, they, they called me today to tell me how cold they were because it got to the high 60s this, in the evenings. <laughs> I bought a, a snow shovel this week. <laughs> Amen. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. The picture is that the sun's warm, the sun's shining, and it's radiant. But unless you step outside, unless you get out of the shade and out of the, being inside of a building and step out into the rays of the sun, you won't experience the warmth of it. If there's a waterfall pouring out, it's not until you get under the waterfall and the pouring of the water over you that you get wet. And it's similar with the love of God. God's love is poured out on a dark, dying, and, and hopeless world. God pours out his love on a world to bring redemption and purpose and bring people back to God who are bound by sin. God radiates his love to the world, but it's only when we turn to Jesus, when we keep ourselves in the love of God that we experience that. So I've got three points related to both receiving but, but giving that today. Uh, you know, this, this phrase, keep yourself, is, is literally means to guard watchfully. It, it pictures a fortress. So, so think of this as God's love is like a stronghold, a fortress, a castle, a place that you can run to and find shelter, safety, and security. It's God's love that heals. It's God's love that restores. It's God's love that has healed the broken and, and brought back the captive, as we sing about today. It's God's love that changes everything. And we're to keep ourselves in the love of God. And point number one today, if you're taking notes, and we'll put it on the screen, is this, that we need to believe in and receive God's love for ourselves. And this is so important. And this, of course, starts if you don't know God or don't have a relationship with God, that it begins with receiving and beginning a relationship with Jesus, which we'll speak about in a moment. But this is so important, even as Christians, I've known believers as in 17 years of pastoring and in ministry, I've seen a lot of people who go to church every week, they believe the doctrines of the church and they accept the, the statement of faith and they've even read their Bibles and they've tried to be good people and all of these things, but they don't really believe that God loves them. 
You know, I like to tell people, not only does God love you, he actually likes you. How many know there's some people you, you, you know you have to love, but you don't really like them? Oh, you're, you're gonna, not going to raise your hand or say that's Okay, good. Um, but, but here's the thing. God not only loves you, he likes you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know him. And so we've got to believe in and receive God's love for us. I think if we really believe, truly believe what the Bible tells us about the love of God, it would change everything for us. We'd never live in fear anymore. We'd never live in shame or guilt any longer. We wouldn't live bound any longer. That the things that held us captive would no longer have a grip on us if we really, truly believed what the Bible tells us about the love of God. Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, said this, Love moved him, Jesus moved him to die. And on this we rely. He hath loved, he hath loved, though we cannot tell why. G. Campbell Morgan, a great preacher, said this, God's love is unsought, undeserved, and unconditional. God's love is unsought, undeserved, and unconditional. I, I was sharing, I was talking with someone earlier in the week, and I said, you know, just they were going through a difficult season. I said, you know, you just need to live right now in Romans 8. You want to know Romans 8? Romans 8 is a powerful passage, and we'll just look at the last couple verses right now. Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 31, the Apostle Paul, I think, of any of the things he's written in the whole New Testament, and there's so much inspired by the Holy Spirit that's life-giving and life-transforming. But I love chapter 8 because this tells us the reality of what we've experienced in Jesus. And he goes to verse 31. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's somebody that believes they're loved. If you know you're loved, it doesn't matter how many devils are against you. It doesn't matter how many people have even rejected you or hurt you or left you, that, that you know that you're loved by God. And his love never fails or changes. He says, God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he, also not, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things that we need? Can you just catch that for a second? That God didn't just say, I love you. People are good at that. But he didn't just say it, he showed it. And it looked like a cross. It looked like Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth, dying on a cross so that he could take our sin, the very thing that had separated us from God, and take it upon himself and die in our place, take our shame and take our sin and our guilt so that we could be forgiven and free. He says if God would, is willing to do that, Will he not also freely give us all things? You know, if, if you're, you're, you're praying, feeling like God's holding out on you, you feel like God's forgotten you, can I just remind you of a cross? Well, I, I don't feel loved right now. Love isn't a feeling. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry that Hallmark movies lied to you. <laughs> but it's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a demonstration. It looks like a cross. We know that God loves us because of what he did for us and what he showed us. And so whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not, or whether you even believe it or not yet, God loves you. He doesn't just love the world. He loves you. He didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. That is, God makes sinners right with himself through Jesus. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. And he also makes intercession for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall trouble, tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Verse 37, yet in all these things, in all these, see, we, we base the love of God based on our circumstances and our feelings and what we see and what Facebook says. or what, we, we, we make it based on a lot of stuff. You know, if, if these people accept us or if these people love us, you know, when you know you're loved by God, what, here's what he says, verse 37, look at this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. People who know their love are overcomers. They overcome shame. They overcome fear. They overcome anything that life and the enemy and the world throws at us. You're an overcomer, church. Not just an overcomer. You're not just a survivor. You're more than a conqueror. But you've got to know it's through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height or depth or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you need to live there too. <laughs> you need to get in Romans 8 until it gets in your heart, until you believe it, until you really know it. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4.10, it describes and defines what love is. There's so much in the Bible that tells us about the love of God, including that God himself is embodied love. But I want you to catch this. Because, like, here's the idea of love most of us have. It's based on imperfect expressions of love through people. People that sometimes disappoint us and sometimes hurt us and sometimes break their promises and sometimes leave us. And, and, and we, 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 you know, people that should have been there for us, maybe a parent or a spouse, and, and, and they didn't walk out and demonstrate and embody love. But can I tell you this? The Bible doesn't even define love as the best we can ever do. If I were to love God as God's word tells me with all of my heart and all my mind and all my strength and all that I am, the Bible says that's not even the definition and picture of what love is. Let's look at it. First John 4.10. This is what love looks like. In this is love. It doesn't even start with us. It starts with God. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. You want to see what love really looks like. It looks like God loving you in your brokenness, loving you in your past, loving you in your shame, loving you that w- even when you were far from God, and I was too, he loved us, and he sent Jesus for us. He says, this is love, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a, a Bible word for the sacrifice, the payment for our sins. Ephesians 3 is Paul, not only writes Romans 8, but then he gets in the letter of Ephesians, and he's describing to the church. He says, here's, here's how I pray for you. He says, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ through whom everyone in the church in heaven and on earth is named after. Your identity comes from your Father in heaven, not from how much money you make and what kind of car you drive and what address you have, what your social media profile says. That's not who you are. You're named from your Father who created you. And and, because the world didn't give it to you, it can't take it from you. And and so, so this is so important. He says, I'm bowing my knee. I'm praying to God for the church, for you. And he says, I want you to do something. I want you to know something. Look at this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. That God would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. We need strength today. Strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit more in a couple weeks. But he strengthens us through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You know, I was, I was, I think it was a documentary I saw recently, they were talking about how there's still places in the ocean right here on this earth that we still haven't explored yet. Like, we, we know more about the surface of the moon and the surface of Mars than we do about the greatest depths of our own ocean. And I think that's so fascinating that there's still places in the ocean. I, I, I took my, uh, I think it was my niece and nephew when they came out a couple years ago and stayed with us for the summer. One of my favorite parts of that trip is when they went and saw the ocean for the first time. I love to have people see the ocean. I, I love water, I love, I love rivers, and I love lakes, but there's something about seeing the ocean that just goes, wow. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, some of us don't like to swim in the ocean because we think there's a shark under us. Maybe there is. Okay. I, 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 I shouldn't have watched the movie Jaws at three years old, but it... But there's something about the depths of that, and Paul is pointing to that kind of picture, and he's saying, I want you together as a church. It's going to take all of eternity for us to just begin to plumb the depths, to begin to even catch a glimpse of what God's love actually looks like. It's an ocean that we have yet to even catch a full picture of. He says, I want you to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. How do you know something that passes knowledge? Well, that word to know there in Greek is gnosko. It's to literally know by experience. In our culture, we've divorced experience from knowledge. So, for example, you can be a business professor who's never run a business. You can be a, you can be a Bible teacher without knowing the God of the Bible. And here he's saying, I want you to know by experience for yourselves. You've got to believe it and receive it for yourself. Know the love of Christ. God wants you to experience his love. He wants you to know it for yourself. There's a story I shared a couple Wednesdays ago in Luke 17. I won't read it for time, but you can look it up yourself. It's a great story. And uh, Jesus is invited by a Pharisee who's an expert in, in, in the Bible, at least what they had up to that point. They knew the Old Testament. And a Pharisee would often start, at six years old, they would begin by memorizing the book of Leviticus. Some of us haven't even read the book of Leviticus. But he mem- they would memorize at six years old, and all the way up through adolescence, they would memorize, and, and the, the top Pharisees who would become rabbis and teachers would have the entire Old Testament memorized. That's pretty impressive. They knew the information. And this Pharisee hears about Jesus and what he's doing and what he's teaching, and he invites him to his house, and he makes lunch for him. Jesus shows up at his house, and he's kind of given a cold welcome. He's invited, but he's just tolerated. But he comes in, he sits down with the Pharisee, and this man is, you know, entertaining talking to Jesus, asking him questions. He's, he's wanting to know about Jesus, but not to believe, but to criticize, find fault. There's a lot of experts out there, but they're, 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 their heart has been hardened. And so they're looking for something to find wrong instead of believing. And that's why they miss him. So, so, so this Pharisee is there with Jesus, and all of a sudden there comes an interruption 
the door opens, and a woman comes in who's weeping. She comes in, and she has some oil, and she pours it out upon Jesus, interrupts the whole meal. And then she's weeping, and as she's at his feet, and she's crying, her tears are falling on his feet, and she's wiping those tears with her hair. And as she's ministering, as she's worshiping, as she's loving Jesus in that moment, this guy's sitting there going, I know who that woman is. She's a prostitute. Now, let's not talk about how the Pharisees were experts and who the prostitutes were, but <laughs> he, he says, this woman, she has a messy story. She has a history. She doesn't deserve, if this guy is who he says he is, He's even calling the Son of God. He says, if he's a prophet, he would not allow this woman to come near him. And Jesus, knowing what's in this man's heart, he says, I've got got to tell you a story. There was once a man who owed a great debt. There were two people, actually, that owed a great debt. One owed 50 and one much more, 500. And they come to this creditor, and the creditor forgives them both, the one who owed 50 and the one who owed so much more, who owed 500. And he says, which one of those two who are forgiven their debt do you think loved the creditor more? Well, probably the one who had the bigger debt. He says, yeah, you're right. The one that is forgiven much loves much. (laughs) Can I just help you? We were all the one who had the bigger debt. Well, I grew up in church my whole life. We were all the person with the bigger debt. I I think the reason why sometimes we forget what we've been saved from, and that's why our worship grows cold. So she's pouring out. She's not thinking about what people think of her, what people are going to say about her. She's there loving on Jesus, and he says, your sins are forgiven you. He who is forgiven much loves much. Number two, point number two, we're going to go through these last two quickly. But number two is this, God's love invites us into relationship with him through Jesus. God's love invites us into a relationship with him through Jesus. You know John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. His love was displayed in this, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. Now, now here's, here's what Jesus is letting them know. I came to save what's lost. My love brought me to rescue. And that's That's huge. That's God, God loved the world, but he loves you. And whoever believes, puts their trust and receives that, receives salvation. And, and, and do you know the Bible tells us that, that heaven, what makes heaven heaven is not the streets of gold. It's not the angels singing. It's not the saints worshiping before the throne. None of those things make heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. Do you know what makes hell hell? It's not the fire and the dark and all of that. It's actually the separation. I, I had somebody years and years ago when I first gave my life to Jesus who had known me before and knew me after. And, and I was sharing my faith with them. And, and they said, you know, I don't think hell's going to be so bad because all my friends are going to be there. 
It's going to be a party. And I, I said, well, here's, here's the problem. What the Bible tells us about hell is that it's a place of separation and loneliness. Not like we've ever felt here. But not just with people, but a separation from the presence of God. Death is separation. What makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he not only gives us access and a home in heaven, but he gives us a relationship with himself right here on this earth. John 15, verse 15. See, I think a lot of Christians, they start there. They receive Jesus. They receive forgiveness, and they have a home in heaven, but they stop at their spiritual birthday. (laughs) They don't know that there's so much more. Jesus said in John 15, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. He says this to his followers, to his disciples. He says, I'm not calling you servants anymore. Why? Because they stopped serving? No, no, that's, he says, for servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends. What an amazing thought that God wants you and I to be friends. of The God who formed the heavens and the earth. The God who spoke and galaxies were breathed. The heavens and the earth were formed. That God created the, that same God who knows what's at the depth of the ocean because he put it there. The God who knows all of that invites you to know him. That's just incredible. God's love is also passionate towards us. The Bible says in James that the Holy Spirit within you yearns jealously after you. In other words, God desires your heart. He desires your affections. He desires your attention. He wants you to have more of him. He wants you to know more of him. There's a story in the Bible that illustrates this, I think, really well, because our experience, if we're honest, is that even though most of us want more of God or want to to, to grow in our relationship with God, we can look at our experience, and oftentimes we've been distant or we're distracted or we're pursuing other lesser loves. One day God comes to Hosea at a time where he had he had come to Israel, and Israel, he had, he had kept his promises, and when they cried out for deliverance, God would save them from their enemies, and God protected them, and blessed them, and did all these things for them, and yet continually, generation after generation, their hearts would turn away from God to all these idols, and God compared their worship of these idols to, the, to adultery, to unfaithfulness. And, and, and God came to Hosea one day, and he says, I want you to go and love a woman who's loved by somebody else. I want you to go in love with this woman. And and he finds this woman one day who actually has the same background as the woman that came at the feet of Jesus. She's a harlot. Her name is Gomer. And if anybody's looking for a baby name, Gomer's available. If you're worried because all your friends are picking the same baby names, I can tell you, no one's choosing Gomer. (laughs) He, 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 He marries Gomer. And then after some time, he's realizing the kids don't look like him. It's in the Bible. <laughs> okay. And uh, Gomer eventually leaves home and doesn't come back. And Hosea is broken. He's grieving. He's hurting. 
He's catching a glimpse of God's broken heart towards his own people. And God comes to him in Hosea chapter 3. Let me read these two verses. Verse 1, it says, The Lord said to, go, to, to, to Hosea, who finds out that his wife has not only sold herself as a heart, but she's literally sold herself into slavery. And she's being sold at the market. And, and, and God comes to Hosea. It would have been easy for Hosea to become bitter at Gomer. He, he could have become, she's gotten what she deserves. And you know what? What God wants him to catch in this moment is his broken heart for his people. Watch what he says. Go again and love a woman who's loved by another lover and who's committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord. Listen to this. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. So verse 2, so I bought her for myself, 15 shekels of silver. Hosea buys what belongs to him. And you know what this tells me about the love of God? That God's love pursues you and me so relentlessly, even when we've turned, even when we've fallen, even when we've, we, our hearts have been far. He comes and he buys back what's already his. Jesus died on the cross to purchase back what he had created, what he has loved, which was us. All of us have broken relationships. But even in our brokenness, we only catch a glimpse of God's heart, which has been broken over and over and over, but his love never fails. Let's go to point number three as we're almost done. Point number three is this. Our calling is to share God's love with other people. I know this is simple, but I think what makes the love of God so transformational is not only does it change us, but it changes through us. It's God-loving us in our brokenness, but helping us to love other people in their brokenness. Helping us to love other people when they're being difficult. Nobody deals with difficult people, right? Only a couple of you. Okay. You know, like when I was at the coffee shop a couple days ago and the person in front of me was paying in pennies for their frappuccino. Okay. If you're in here, I'm sorry. Um, We, we have to receive, we have to get good at being with Jesus. And when we're in with Jesus, when we're in his word and we're in prayer and we're in worship, we're in the waterfall. We're in the sun. And as it's pouring out in our lives, it gives us what we need to give to other people. It reminds us how to love, how to forgive. I... I a few years ago, Jason, if you want to get ready, a, a few years ago, I, I, uh, I moved into our house in Arizona that we just purchased, and I have one pet peeve with houses. Um, I, I get why they exist, if this hurts anybody's feelings. I, I don't like HOAs. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I get it. You know, you don't want Mater parked in your lawn, so, so that's why you have an HOA. Some of y'all have a rest. Okay, no. So I get why we have that, but I remember my first, we bought this house, my wife and I are moving in, I'm, I'm literally unloading my moving truck, and, and one of my na- new neighbors comes and meets me, she's a person right next door, she comes up and, and, and I go to introduce myself, hi, I'm Brian, and before I can even introduce myself, she says, I go to HOA board meetings, and your tree, let me back up, I bought this house because I love the tree, I love the house, but Phoenix doesn't have a lot of trees, 
Not like here, you got beautiful established trees. They, we didn't have a lot of this, so I saw this tree. Like, oh, we love that tree. We buy the house. My neighbor's first comment to me is, you got to get rid of this tree. And, and so she spends 20 minutes telling me about how many plants I need in my yard. And, how, and then I, eventually I got my, I'm Brian, by the way. Um, <laughs> a couple days later, I'm complaining. I mean, I'm praying. I'm talking to God. <laughs> God, how come I got like the most difficult neighbor in the world next door to me? And, uh, and, and <laughs> but here's, here's what happens. When you get in the waterfall, God starts helping adjust your attitude. He starts turning your direction on I-35. He starts telling you, that's a person that Jesus died for. I know they're difficult. Now, now listen, that's, that's like not a big deal. I've dealt with much more difficult situations. But, but no matter how hard the situation, no matter how painful, no matter what it is, I can go back to a cross where my Savior, your Savior, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And I can love because I've been loved. I can forgive because I've been forgiven. Jesus gave his, one of his last instructions to his disciples. is called the great commandment. He says, I love one another as I've loved you. Love one another. We have a great commission to fulfill as the church. We know that. But I don't think we can fulfill the great commission without following the great commandment that we actually are driven by love. That we see broken people and we love them where they're at because God loved us where we were at. Come on, church. Do you know God's love? The world's redefined love. It's redefined love as this, that if you really love me, you'll accept everything I do. But God's, I'm a parent. I got three kids. I love my kids. I love them unconditionally. I do not like everything they do. The church doesn't need less truth in this hour, but we do need more love. Because it's only the truth that sets men free. So let's be careful not to, conf- you know, I'm, I can't get into conversations I've had, but, but there's so much of the church is sidetracked after lesser things when people are dying and going to hell. And it's only God's love that will drive us to see people rescued, to go after them. Can I give you one last chapter before I turn this over? And Jason, and I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up in just a moment. Before you do, though, 1 Corinthians 13, this is the test. This is like, if you want to have some heart surgery today, just take this home and, and put your name where it says love. 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long. That's patience. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's not proud. Love doesn't behave rudely. Love doesn't seek its own. That's a big one because the world's definition of love is actually lust. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's the, I call it the Jerry Maguire kind of love. You complete me. I love you because you love me. I love you because of how you make me feel. Some of y'all have been married long enough like I have to find out that that doesn't work. Because sometimes that person won't make you feel great about yourself. And you won't be... That person that, you know, you love their Christian Mingle profile 
but, but then they, you know, they have bad breath in the morning. They make a weird noise when they brush their teeth. They leave dirty clothes on the floor. I'm describing myself. Okay. Thank God for my wife's agape love for me. But here's the thing. Love looks like laying your life down. It's not a feeling. Feelings come later. It's I'm laying myself down. Love doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in sin or iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I'm going to challenge you to do something brave. Put your name where love is and see how you're doing. I'll leave you there. <laughs> Go ahead and stand to your feet. Let me pray with you today. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.